0: Moncrief. On News Talk. Joanna Fortune uh, joins us once again. Good afternoon, Joanna.
1: Good afternoon,
0: Sean. Right, here's your first question. My four and a half year old boy is dominating our family life. I have three boys, including him. The others are age nine and two. We're walking on eggshells around him constantly because he has the ability to turn our day from good to very difficult. Our mornings from all organised to everyone late for school and work. Our dinner time from enjoyable to very stressful. He needs constant attention and will have a tantrum if something doesn't go his way. He will hit and tell me he's not my friend when I start the bed. Bedtime routine. We have to stop what we're doing and listen to him over his brothers if we want to keep things calm. I'm just not sure how to help him or help our whole family with this. He's very stubborn and has been this way since he could express himself. He gets good sleep, has a good diet, goes to creche, does lots of activities and is starting school in September. His behaviour is very good in school and sports settings. How do I handle him at home?
1: Oh, my goodness, there's so much to handle at home. I'm not sure that he's even the starting point. You know, he has he's been given so much power, you know, that he's dominating family life. He has everyone else on eggshells. He has the ability to turn everyone's day from good to difficult. Like that is way beyond the developmental scope of a four and a half year old. And that is an overwhelming amount of power to give a child, any child, but a child that age. I suppose when I'm listening to that, Sean, and you reading it out there, I'm just thinking how stressful it must be for everybody at home, but also how stressful it must be for this four and a half year old to feel like, gosh, I'm in charge of everything here and all of you as well. You know, no child's going to say, well, you know, let me hand you back that power. I don't enjoy it. Nobody says that. But at the same time, he shouldn't have it. So immediately I was curious about How were his, you know, the so-called terrible twos? I say so-called because while they're parentally unpleasant, they are developmentally normal. That stage of discovering vociferously the no and mine and I'll decide, you know, when kids really start to assert themselves. And it happens around that two-year-old age. But it's also around the time of the second year secure attachment cycle, which In the early stages of infancy, you know, our kids have needs. They cry to let us know they've needs. We respond. We make them better. And they trust us to meet their needs. Once we've done that, they hit us with their wants, their demands. I want stuff, but I want it now because I'm a toddler and I don't do delayed gratification or impulse control. And some of them do it louder than others, okay? And some of them are really challenging at this age in terms of behavior, and some of them less so. I won't say not challenging, because I think that's always a challenging stage of parenting, Mm -hmm. but I'm wondering what his were like, and was it very hard? Because if he's four and a half and has established this amount of power and control at home, that didn't just start yesterday. So how far back does it go? That's for this parent to have a think about and identify, you know, when did this start? When did we start having to anticipate him kicking off? Because one of the things that's clear here is that you're watching him and going, is it now? What will he do? Might he do it? Could he do it? So you're in that heightened state of alert, you know, that hyper vigilance about when is he going to kick off and what can we do to avoid it? So he's setting the tone at home. I mean, of course, he has a tantrum if something doesn't go his way, because that's very frustrating. But part of the job of childhood is to learn how to manage and cope with that frustration and they only learn that by us adults in charge be that parents teachers sports coaches reflecting back what's happened with meaning oh you're really frustrated because You couldn't do whatever. And that made you so mad that you shouted or you threw it across the room because you lost your temper. You got so frustrated. So we're teaching them that their overt behavior, you know, shouting or hitting or throwing is underpinned by a physical and emotional state. That doesn't mean you say it's okay. by the way. It's just that you're helping me make meaning of my behavior and this little boy could do with that and what's interesting is he clearly has capacity to do this because he is doing it in school and in his sports club activities and what he has there is clear structure clear limit setting, and very clearly identified adult in charge. I'm going to tell everyone what to do, how to do it, we'll have fun, but I'll keep everything from getting out of control. And he responds well to that. So I think have a look at him in those settings, be curious about how the teacher or the sports coach is doing that, and see how much of that you can implement. Because this comes back to boundaries, boundaries and limit setting. Now, he's never going to high five you and say, Where have those boundaries been my whole life? I've been waiting for those. You know, as if, if only they would say that he's likely going to fight you, push against it because actually that's his job. It is our kids' jobs to test our boundaries and limits. And it is our job to hold them gently yet firmly in place. And structure, remember, is about... Flexibility structure bends without breaking. It adapts to the situation. It's not rigid. So it's not about coming in and setting rules and being really rigid, but it is about establishing that you set the tone of what's going on at home. You set the temperature and emotional temperature of the family home because he has way too much power and you have to start taking it back now so i think it's back to basics go back to how those as i said so-called terrible twos were and begin to establish i know you're upset but the answer is no and i can withstand you being upset and i will help you to master the tension rousing experience obviously you're not going to say that but you know (laughs) in your own head that's your mantra in mind it's okay for him to be upset it's okay for him to be frustrated You will help him understand why and you will help him to master that and bring him out of it through redirection and distraction boundaries. And I I would strongly say, get this under control now before he's older than this. But he's he's not happy either. It might look like he's loving having all the power and control, but he's not. It's too much for his age.
0: I wonder if because you mentioned terrible twos when he was in the terrible twos was when his little brother came along
1: exactly exactly and that would have been really disruptive at that age for him going hey I want to be king of the castle but who's this little usurper coming in and taking your time and attention from me and again that's quite normal for a child to have that reaction but they're supposed to be kind of gently yet firmly facilitated out of that maybe he got stuck there and maybe he's deciding. Maybe he got some leeway at that age, you know, maybe to kind of help him manage that he was let away with things or boundaries relaxed. Totally get it. Totally understand why you would do that. But the problem is they didn't reestablish and come back on track.
0: Yeah. Maybe <laughs> they might need to get up a wee bit earlier in the morning as well probably to almost anticipate the tantrum to get everything
1: ready. Yeah, predictability, calm, clear, consistent boundaries. Not saying that as if it's the easiest thing in the world because it's absolutely not. No. And especially when you're changing something because he's used to it this way. So anticipate having to really kind of hold your ground and just tag each other in and out as a support team. Hey, I'm going to flip my lid, you take over, I'll get my breath and come back in and relieve you. But you establish that you're the team you're the parents in charge
0: Right Uh, I kind of know what your answer to this is going to be what's your view of controlled or timed crying to sleep train a seven month old otherwise what's the best way to gently sleep train a seven month old
1: So I mean, like you probably anticipate, I don't advocate controlled crying at all, um, no matter how old the child is. And there is a difference, you know, between controlled crying or cry it out and sleep training. They kind of get fuzzed up, um, but there is a difference. I mean, look, the reason I wouldn't condone, especially under one year old, under three years old, is that attachment is still forming and developing. And attachment research shows that the more we respond to our young children and young infants, the less needy they grow up to become. Because I'd feel very strongly that crying is our baby's language like I said it's it's designed to establish that needs and trust cycle of the year one I cry because I don't feel right I'm dysregulated I'm uncomfortable I'm hungry I need to be changed I'm tired whatever it is you respond to my cry you make sense of what's going on, you make me feel better. And then I can develop trust that when I need you, all I have to do is cry and my cry will elicit an appropriate response. So crying is designed to communicate and to connect and to elicit important responses that I need. So I would never advocate not responding to children's cries, particularly this young age, because pre-verbal, it is the only language I have. I can't say, hey, feeling overwhelmed or got a lot going on here could do with some help with co-regulation. I can't say that, but I can cry and I need to learn that my cry matters and that it has meaning. So I would never encourage you to do that. Now, I'm also not a sleep training person. That's not something that I do. It's not part of how I work or how I think but there are sleep consultants out there and i would never judge any parent And Sean. i think we all do the best we can and the end mm-hmm. game is everybody gets a good night's sleep so however that works for any of us that's okay so if sleep consultancy is something that you're exploring there are many out there there are many who's you know have their own systems you know lucy wolf has a best selling book in this area you could certainly look that up i would say to you though and the research backs this up there's no clear cut definitive, this is the system, this is the way that works. What you're going to have to do if you're going down this route is research. Look up and see what Fits with you? What can you live with? What can you feel comfortable with? Because consistency is key. So, if you're going to introduce a sleep system of any kind, make sure it's one that you know I believe in this, I'm subscribed to it, it makes sense to me, and I can see it through. Because if you're inconsistent, whatever you're doing isn't going to work. So, just be aware of that. At seven months old, your baby is entirely dependent on you. They like to fall asleep on us. They like to feel the beat of our hearts, to feel the warmth of our skin. It's very comforting and reassuring. It's how they build trust. It's how they understand themselves in the world. So don't be feeling pressure that my baby should be sleeping X amount of time in a room and do because somehow it's out there that all babies can do this. That's simply not true. So if this is something that you're struggling with and you're like, we've got to do something with sleep, do your research, pick a system that works for you and stick with it and be open to being wrong. If it's not working after, you know, a couple of weeks, look at something else. If you're saying, look, it actually doesn't really bother me how my baby sleeps. I just felt they should be doing this. Get that out of your head. There is no should. Do what feels right. But no, please don't do the control crying thing.
0: Right. uh, My three-year-old has suddenly started having a lot of daytime wetting accidents and I'm unsure why. She was great at using the toilet herself, but she's been having accidents for a few weeks, more so at home than creche. One of our creche teachers left recently and I think this may have something to do with it. Also, she has started waking up early in the morning around five or six. I'm looking for advice on how to deal with this as her accidents are becoming more frequent at home. If I try to change her when she's wet, she denies she's wet and resists being changed
1: okay so there's a few things here i'm not sure how you're currently reacting at home to this when it happens. So just be aware, how are you responding to her at home? And, you know, are you upset, are you cross, are you irritated, are you super over understanding, you know, maybe a little too understanding, what message are you sending her with this? The first step is go to a GP if you haven't and get a urine test in case she has a little UTI or uh, some kind of an infection, you know, just rule out the physical, especially when they're this age. She has achieved um, training is what I'm understanding and this is a regression, absolutely could be triggered by an emotional disruption like one of her carers leaving, you know, because it's very hard. You know, our children are used to seeing the same people. That's a big loss in her life. So, you know, if that's the case, it should be something that you can get her back on track relatively quickly, you know, empathizing and understanding, lots of soothing and reassurance, and she should get back. But also hold in mind that At this age, they tend to get very busy and very absorbed in their play. You know, and frankly, it's way more interesting than stopping to go to the toilet because I'm so in it that I may even miss the cues that my body is sending me. I might not even be aware that I'm wetting. So when I say to you, no, no, I'm not wet, maybe in that moment that's my truth and then you go but you are wet and it's like oh would you look at that you know it's not that I'm lying or concealing or deceiving you it's that I'm maybe not tuned in to my body at all so I would have her help you with the cleanup not in a shaming way at all but just you know you do the spraying and wiping and then she can have a little wipe over the you know because it's already clean if you know what I mean and she can feel she's wiping up Um, you could be bagging up whatever you're wiping with and she could put that in the bin she could put her soiled underwear into the laundry you know just help her to be part of the cleanup with this and then just be curious and in a playful kind of mindset be wondering i wonder how you didn't hear your body tell you to go did you because you're reminding her that our bodies are very smart and they tell us when we need to go to the toilet and that means we have to stop or pause our play run into the toilet go and then come back to play and the play will still be there She may need a little guidance and structure around reminding her of that. I would also make a plan with kindness, you know, just saying to her, look, it's getting really hard for you to listen to your body, so what I'm going to do is I'll remind you home when it's time to go and when I do you stop we go in and we go and you do that until she begins to take that over herself but you're selling her we're going to move out of this and we're doing it another way but I'm going to structure it for you I would also increase her sensory play at home because I especially if she's had this distressing or upsetting experience of losing a, a carer That it's also going to be a way of getting her out of her head, helping her in the now moments of her body just to process and make sense in that doing way that 3 year olds have. So lots of messy play, lots of tactile texture, explorative type of play and even if you're going yeah she does loads of that in crash and I'm sure she does, she needs to do it at home with you because one of the things we have to hold in mind is that we have to welcome our kids external chaos and mess, this all this messy play because it shows them that we can also welcome and organize their internal chaos and mess when they're upset and distressed so they can give that to us too. Mm-hmm. But at this she's more likely to process in that practical doing way so tons of messy play but structure the toilet piece with her yeah do the, do go to the gp though because i i think you yeah. can sometimes prematurely say it's emotional when actually we need to rule out that it isn't a physical thing because if it was if
0: it was if she's missing the the, the the person in the crash, you'd have thought that the wedding would happen more in the crash than at home
1: well, I'd be curious about that, too, because maybe they have a system in the creche that at certain times of the day, everybody gets up and goes to the toilet, you know, that, mm. oh, we'll all go to the toilet now. Um, and maybe I don't know that, but there are certainly childcare that would do that, you know, with lots of little toilet training people at the one time, you know, you could be in and out of the toilet all day otherwise. So maybe it's like in little groups of three or four. Now we're going to the toilet. So that's what I think reminding her that you will remind her when she needs to go for a while but ask them ask them in crash what's going on now it, she's saying I think that it's happening less in crash, doesn't mean mm. it's not happening at all yeah but maybe get curious about what do they do how do they respond so she's getting a consistent response at home and in her her care facility but also just say to them look what way do you do it because we want to structure it the same here with her because it's not working at home
0: Okay, right. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. We do have to take a break. More questions to come, though. After, including a question. Of course, this will be an easy one to answer. I think my ex is a bad influence on the kids. Back in a couple of minutes. 53106 is our text number that will cost you uh, 30 cents. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Joanna Fortune is still with us for our parenting slot. Uh, On the subject of uh, the child who isn't settling down to sleep yet, uh, one texter says, uh, our first child didn't sleep for the first year and a half. It was a complete nightmare. My heart goes out to anyone who is having this problem. For our second, we brought them into the bed and they slept on my chest. Sid's guidelines would say that that is not a good thing to do. However, it meant... Everybody in the house got some sleep and were able to cope with all the hard work that comes with a newborn baby, uh, uh, says Cahill. So I suppose there might be the SIDS guidelines. Would that be a kind of concern that somebody might roll over on the baby?
1: It is, yeah, and just making sure that the, you know, there's all kinds. It depends on what you look up. You know, the internet's a great place for, however you word your question, you'll get the, yes. the style of research that suits that. But I, I do, you know, there's certainly concerns about could babies go into too deep a sleep? could there be SIDS risk? Could there be rolling over? So there are ways of co sleeping safely. Um, once a child is also, you know, out of that kind of newborn stage, um, and there are ways of doing that. Um, I really think when it comes to sleep. It's always such a hot, contentious issue. First of all, we all need it, like we don't function without sleep. And I think it's one that we all have to kind of be very non-judgmental of each other around that whatever works for you and your family and you're happy with, that works. Don't get caught up in other kids are doing or the Internet says I should do it this way or social media says all babies of this age behave in this way because it's just not that prescriptive. So I think it's about finding a system that the result is everybody gets the maximum amount of sleep possible in the healthiest way possible.
0: Right, here's, uh, uh, here's the next question. I have three kids aged four, seven and ten. I've been separated from their dad for some time, but I'm worried he's actually a bad influence on them. I want to keep him incorporated in their lives, but he doesn't have any problems smoking in front of them. They've picked up a couple of swear words that I know are his favourites. And they often use the excuse, dad said I could. How do I encourage better behaviour when they spend their time in another household
1: where the rules aren't the same? Oh, the trials and tribulations of yes. co-parenting. <laughs> um, I, look, I think it's it's really about it. This comes back to that one boundaries away. You know, you want to have a converse. If there is something major, you want to have a conversation with your ex-partner, but in a hey, can we have a talk? Can we agree that we do? Can we agree that this is how we do it? And it's not you're doing it wrong, I'm doing it right. But it's about establishing it's best for the kids if they have consistent parenting responses in each house. Because children are very attuned to their parents' emotions and responses and they will be watching to see how you're feeling about the other parent. They're watching for that. They're telling you things. They're watching for how you react to it. I think you want to, above all else, Try to avoid picking faults with each other's parenting and ask yourself before you do or say anything, am I irritated because this is not how I choose to parent or because it does not meet an essential need for our child? Like, for example, you know, this is about parental preferences over, you know, parental essentials. Let's put it that way. Like you might prefer your child, you know, is not playing outside after 7 p.m., or not playing outside without a coat on in the evening something like that that's a parenting preference your child has asthma and needs to take their inhaler at the same time every day no matter whose care they're in that's a parental essential. Mm. So I think you want to establish common ground on parental essentials and you will have to pick your battles when it comes to parenting preferences because just because it's your preference doesn't mean it's a need. And you are different people living different lives in different houses, but the one thing you have in common and always will is your children. So trying to do that, meet in the middle, and meeting in the middle requires compromise on both sides, not coming at it saying, well, my way is better, so just do it my way. Because that's the quickest way to get into a row, into tension. That you know, you want you want to talk about how, yo, know, your dad with your children saying, you know, dad said I could, or you know, he's smoking in front of them, they're picking up swear words from him. That's what you're saying. That you know, you can. Cap- Pull them up on that and say, you're not allowed to use those words. And if it's well, dad does say, actually, that's adult behavior and dad can do it because he's an adult, but you're a child. So if you do it, there are going to be consequences. And instead of getting pulled into what dad should or shouldn't be doing, you focus on the fact that your children shouldn't be doing it and there'll be consequences if they do it. And you give them time to self-correct that because There are things that adults can, well, maybe we shouldn't do it, but we can do it by virtue of being adults. But that doesn't mean our children can. So be aware of that. The smoking thing, you might want to have a conversation. Can we agree that you won't smoke in front of the children or that you won't do it in the house where they're sitting? But be prepared for your partner to say, no, we can't agree that. So you can't make that happen, but you can say, it'd be great if we could be on the same page here more than we're not. But if you come at this with the mindset of my ex is the bad influence, I fear that's going to go really wrong in terms of conversation. Mm, yeah. Defenses will immediately go up.
0: I would imagine as well. I mean, I obviously, it, it, it's more difficult when the, when the couple aren't living with each other. But kids in general will try that playing one off against yeah. the other anyhow
1: hundred percent. And we're never no matter with the best will in the world, John, you know, we're never totally on the same page with parenting. There may be many times you feel I actually don't think that's a big issue. I don't think that's a givey out thing. I would totally say yes to that. Mm. And maybe your partner's going, well, I do think it's an issue. So and in that, again, you're going to say, well, pick my battles. If that's a strong parent- parenting essential for one of us, but it's still something I don't really have a strong feeling about, maybe take a backseat and let the other parent take the lead on that. We're never going to be fully on the same page. It's the big issues that we want to agree on and always separate it out into is this a parenting preference I have or is this a parenting essential? Yeah. Really invest in the essentials and pick and choose your battles with the preferences.
0: My eight-year-old daughter has become a little too preoccupied with trying to grow up too fast. I often find her knee-deep in my makeup. She's fascinated with Ariana Grande and wants to have perfect teeth like her. She's expressed wanting to change her appearance and is already complaining about not having any chest. She's seven, by the way. It's quite scary and I don't know how to get her to enjoy just being seven. Oh, gosh.
1: Yeah, I mean, that kind of seven, eight, nine, ten, even that age group, you know, coming into that middle childhood phase, that's the age when our children are pulling away from us um, as they're, you know, you're my greatest influence. You're still An important influence. Don't take your hands off the wheel here when you hear me say this. (laughs) But they're pulling away from us thinking other people know more than you. And I actually prefer to follow the leads of my peers and other people. They start taking their cues, you know, from the outside world or at least the world outside of us and the safety of our parenting bubble. And they're looking to peers, but also celebrities. I want to be like them. Look at how they do it. I want to dress like them. I want to mir- mirror, imic, and mimic and imitate what they're doing. It's all of that stuff. So it, with the Ariana Grande thing, and it could be Ariana Grande, it could be anyone else, you know, talk about her being a grown up and she's not seven or eight years old. You know, she's a grown up and our bodies change and grow as we do. So one of the things that we're going to see is that her body does look different to yours. And when you're older, your body will look different and maybe more like this. I wouldn't say we'll look like hers because bodies are all different. Um, but also talk about all of the eight-year-old stuff, all the kind of eight-year-old fun stuff she would miss if she was just suddenly to become a grown-up and get her to name out what's great about being eight and what kind of things do you get to do. And you could say, well, as a grown-up, I don't really get to do those things. So if you were to suddenly be a grown-up, you'd miss all of that. So make it exciting to be in the now moment as I am. And um, But in saying that, don't Dismiss her interests in makeup, and don't in you know, and Ariana Grande and fashion and music or whatever it is. Don't dismiss her interests as you know. Don't be silly or that's not for you. Become interested. In what interests her even if it means you watch a few ariana grande videos with her and just see how you know maybe she lights up with that music maybe she loves to dance maybe she loves to move the rhythm of it all what is it about it that's also drawing her in but when you're interested in what interests her it teaches her she is interesting And she is deserving of your interest. And that's about building up her self-esteem, her sense of self. And that's something that's really worth spotlighting at this stage. But I also think, you know, when we see our kids, you know, as I love this phrase, knee deep in my makeup. um, But often that isn't about I love makeup because I want to be a grown up. Often it's a behavior that's about experimenting. It's about playing with being a grown up. Mm. But it's also about being like you. It's about being like mom. That could be for some kids, you know, the younger age, they might dress up in your dressing gown and your high heels or whatever it is. But when they see you putting on makeup and changing how you look, that can be so interesting and appealing. I'd like to do that too. So, you know, you can do that with her. Sit and not not your good stuff. I see lots of, I can imagine lots of parents go, there's no way I'm opening my makeup bag as a, to- a play tool. Um, <laughs> but, you know, think think more of the, the easier, accessible, lower... Um, Um, costing stuff that you can have some supplies to have fun with or face paints like really have fun with it at home and use it as a way of kind of doing some role play and imagining and getting into character and keep some of that wonderment and playfulness alive I think you could do that but don't dismiss the makeup interest as being about Ariadne Grande it's just as likely to be about you.
0: Yeah, indeed. Uh, she, yes, yeah, well, easily forgets that. Joanna, thanks a million. Uh, uh, a great pleasure, as always. Joanna Fortune, there you are, listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. We're going to uh, take a break. After that, the delusion of crowds. Moncrief on Talk.